Good morning. Um, if those of you who don't know me, my name is Alan Bonson. And to put things in perspective, I'm a, for the last 16 years, I've been a facility manager at a private school in Los Gatos. I am not a public speaker. But uh, uh, in the late 70s and early 80s, I was part of a, a group called Messenger Fellowship. It's a teaching and outreach group that was anchored in what was then called Calvary Community Church. I attended a Bible college there called Acts 2, Apostolic Community Training School. And I'm sure that people sat in room for a long time to get that. Um, at the church. The school's purpose was to help people identify their spiritual and practical gifts and passions and put them to work for the kingdom. Along with intense biblical study, we were exposed to many outstanding teachers and mentors, and we were given ample opportunity to put our gifts to work in the home church and out in outreaches to cities and states. Some of us went international. One of my gifts was found to be teaching, and I taught on a number of outreaches into Oregon and on a six-city, ten-week tour across the United States. When Philip asked if I would like to teach one Sunday, I jumped at the opportunity, and then I have to confess a little bit, it's a whole lot easier to teach to people that you don't know, because when you're leaving at the end of the week, they will never see you again. But um, I'm hoping you'll be kind. Um, first, I'd like to tell you about an interesting article I found on the Internet um, a couple of weeks ago. Um, I'm going to read this to you, because it's... It's unbelievable. A Central Florida preacher gave a sermon that lasted more than two days and that could become a new world record. Cross Mountain Dora church member David Douglas told the Leesburg Daily Commercial that Zach Zender, Zach, that's a pastor's name, began presenting the Bible from Genesis to Revelation at 7 a.m. Friday and finished at 12.21 p.m. Sunday. That's 53 hours and 18 minutes. The pastor's speech was streamed live at www.longestspeechever.com. It will be part of the documentation needed for the Guinness Book of World Records. Organizers say the event also raised more than $90,000 for an addiction recovery program. The former Guinness record holder was from India, and he spoke 48 hours and 31 minutes. According to Guinness rules, Zender was allowed a five-minute break every hour and could save them up for a longer one. Uh, I guarantee you I'm not doing 53 hours. It's going to be a lot closer to 18 minutes. So um, thank you for that. Uh, but before I get started, I'd like to pray. And this is what I've been doing since um, Philip offered me the opportunity to teach us praying that, um, that God will uh, work through me today. So just bow your heads with me for a moment. Heavenly Father, you know more than anybody else that I'm not worthy of this material, but you also know that there's things here that you want spoken about. I pray that um, all the stuff that I say that doesn't mean anything will pass out of the minds of people, but the stuff that you want remembered will remain in their minds. I thank you for the clarity, for the love, for the joy that I find when I open these scriptures up and be begin to just search the out the important truths. But I also thank you, Lord God, that you uh, made us who we are and that you give us opportunities to do wonderful things. We pray all this in the wonderful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Why don't you open your Bibles to John chapter 14. We'll be studying verses 1 through 11. If you don't have a Bible, please raise your hand so that one of the ushers can bring you one, or you can follow on the screen as we read along. Um, while you find today's passages, let me bring you up to date. The first thing I, I noticed is when I have a Bible that when you open it up, it has each one of the Gospels in a column. And so you can see what each writer said about the same uh, subject. 
It's very interesting that from chapter 14 through chapter 17, John is the only one recording those, those uh, incidents. And it, I think it's, it's also very telling uh, that the other disciples were a little bit, or the other disciples were a little bit quiet about it because each one of them had a different audience. And, and I want you to know that John wrote these things down because they were important to his goal of letting you know about the divinity of Jesus Christ. And that's what we're going to talk about today. We have learned that Jesus and the disciples were celebrating Passover together. Jesus, knowing that his time had come to depart out of this world and go to the Father, ministered to the disciples. John explains this in chapter 13, verse 1. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Jesus probably deeply unsettled the disciples by washing their feet. We know that it took Peter back, and Jesus told them that they were to serve one another, to love one another as he had loved them. Then Jesus really rocked the disciples' world by announcing that he was leaving. And he took it a step further. They would not be able to go with him. He let Peter know that he would deny he even knew Jesus three times, no less, just to save his own skin. And then there was Judas. Why had he left the table? And who of us would betray Jesus? They never quite put that together. The disciples had heard some troubling news. Jesus was leaving, and whether he, wherever he was going, they could not go with him. And to top it off, no matter what they said, no matter how much courage they thought they had at the time, in his darkest hour, when he needed them most, their courage would melt away, and they would scatter to the wind. In other words, Jesus said, I'm leaving you, and you won't even make it through one night without me. Sounds like a good reason for the disciples to have a troubled spirit, a heavy heart. And yet Jesus responds with the following words. Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own. But the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am the Father and the Father is in me. Or else believe on account of the works themselves. These are pretty powerful words and worthy of weeks of study. But I have a few thoughts that jumped out at me, and I would like to share them with you today. The disciples are in inner turmoil, and Jesus speaks to that in the first verse of John 14. Let not your heart be troubled. Peter, John, still your hearts. All will be all right in the end. Then Jesus goes on. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, let's settle here for a moment. God's house has many rooms, not temporary rooms, but permanent rooms, your room and my room. These are, this is not a room at the Fairmont, now, no matter how nice that would be. 
nor is it even a guest room. His children live with him. It will be our home. To steal a phrase from the pet adoption agencies, our forever home. And Peter, Andrew, Alan, Bob, if we believe in Christ, even though we do it imperfectly, we have a room in God's house. Jesus goes on to say, trust him. There are many rooms in his father's house, and he's going to personally make sure our room is ready for us. In my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, Jesus says, if it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? He wants them to understand the truth of the statement. This is like, verily, verily, I say to you, he's compounding it. He's not just saying this to make them feel better. This is not a feel-good moment. It is something for them to hold on to, even in the most trying of times. Jesus says twice that he's going to prepare a place for us. We have heard in this church that Jesus is the bridegroom and the, and the church is the bride and that he's preparing a room for his bride, as was a custom of this time. And I firmly believe that. But I think that the disciples might have seen this in another light. You see, in Jesus and the disciples' time, people would add rooms to their house whenever they had a need. It was not like now where we have to go out and get a permit and, and bring in contractors and do the work. They would build the, the rooms themselves. They might want to make room for a growing family or to house a relative, a widow, or a parent who might need a place to stay. This room would be built carefully and made ready to be lived in. Maybe some new pillows, a small table, a pitcher of water. Maybe a sturdy bench on the outside so mom could sit out in the sun. It was prepared with love. It was prepared the same way we do it these days. Now, Bob and Mary Bergen know exactly what I'm talking about. They've been doing this in their home so that they have a place for their mom. Nowadays, it's some paint and some new carpet. A comfortable place to be with love and with care. This is a truth that he wants them to remember and hold deep in their hearts. The room in God's house had already been built. Jesus is getting them ready for us. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So not only has Jesus prepared the place, but the way. John Piper explains it this way. In other words, I go to prepare a place for you, and as I go, I become the way that you get there. I am the truth that you hold on to to get there, and I am the life, the eternal life, that you will enjoy when you get there. When I say I go to prepare a place for you, I mean I open the way, and I am the way. I confirm the truth, and I am the truth, and I purchase the life, and I am the life. Let me read that again, just that last part. When I say I go to prepare a place for you, I mean I open the way, and I am the way. I confirm the truth, and I am the truth. I purchase the life, and I am the life. The way to your dwelling place can only be prepared, made ready by what Jesus will do over the next three days, what he will endure as he fulfills his role as the Lamb of God about to be slain. But in the end, as it states in John 10:8, death is to be defeated and Jesus is about to give up his life and take it back again from the jaws of death. 
And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. I will take you to myself. And this changes the focus from that room to Jesus. Wherever he's at, that's where we want to be. It's heaven. Where is heaven? In the presence of Jesus. Later on the day of Pentecost, when Peter is filled with the Holy Spirit, he speaks these words that are recorded in Acts 2, verses 38 and 39. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and your children, and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord calls unto himself. Everyone whom the Lord calls unto himself. And Jesus says, I will take you to myself. The place that all Christ believers want to be is in the presence of our God and our Savior forever and ever. Now, we are the ones who are far off, not in distance, but in time. So this passage is about us. Think about this for just a moment. When somebody passes away, Christ followers often say that the deceased is going home or going to be with the Lord. I have also heard it said that they are called home. We know in our hearts our God, our Lord Jesus, takes us unto himself by the path, the way, that he created through his death and resurrection. So Jesus has prepared a place for us, our room, in his Father's house, and he prepared the way. He said, I am the way. And even though we don't deserve it, no matter what we do when we confess our sins and ask God for forgiveness, like the disciples, there is a place for us, and yet there's some more. This place of rest and the way to get there were created by God the Father by whom all good things come. Jesus said, don't be troubled because the eternal Father is with you now. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip says, Lord, show us the Father and is enough for us. But Jesus says to him, have I been with you so long and you still don't know me? Philip. Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, do not, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Six times in this passage, Jesus says virtually the same thing. If you had known me, you would have known my father also. And from now on, you do know him and have seen him. And then he asks, have I been with you so long and you still don't know me, Philip? And then he says, whoever has seen me has seen the father. Then he says in verse 10, do you believe that I am the father and the father is in me? And in verse 11, he kind of reverses that and said, believe me that I am in the father and the father is in me. Now, the disciples would have completely understood the divinity of God without question. And now Jesus begins to lay some of the last bricks of the foundation of his church as he hammers home this truth. He and his father are the same. Jesus, like his father, is divine or godlike. The very words Jesus spoke came from the father and the works he did. No man could do them, only a God could. Raising Lazarus from the dead, healing the lame, the lepers, bringing sight to the blind, believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Now the disciples had, Jesus, had seen Jesus walk with them and talk with them and eat with them and acting like they did. Um, it was 
I think, a little hard for them sometimes to understand that he was God. But John makes it very clear in some of the words that he wrote that at least he understood this. In just a very short while, the rest, trial, and crucifixion, crucifixion of their teacher, master, and friend would send them into a tailspin, but his resurrection would kindle in their hearts a spark that the Holy Spirit would fan the flames that would empower them to go out and preach to all the world the gospel of Jesus, the risen Lord. What about us, Philip says? Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. I think I need to ask the question, how many times have you been shown the Father? Or have you seen the risen Lord, not in the flesh, but in the kindness of his followers, or heard his words spoken in this church, or one of thousands like it that proclaim the gospel, the good news of Christ, the risen King? Perhaps you've seen someone on TV who speaks God's truth, or you've read a book that helps you understand how to deal with issues from a Christ follower's perspective. Or maybe more importantly, how often has anyone seen Christ through you? How often have your hands been the hands of God as you reach out to comfort somebody? I understand there are mortgages to pay, lawns to mow, laundry to do, and sons and daughters to take care of. I'm in the same boat except for the sons and daughters part. How am I supposed to understand what Jesus is saying to me when the disciples who were there with Jesus for three years had trouble understanding what was going on in their very presence. Didn't Philip say, Lord, show us the Father? They were right there and didn't always get it. We have a great gift as Christ followers of having the Spirit of God residing in our hearts to lead us, to comfort us, instruct us, and check us, but only when we listen. For me, I am sometimes too complacent about the Spirit living within me even though I've had the privilege of seeing God work and relying on the Spirit to see me through tough times of answering prayers or directing my steps. While I was in the organization I spoke about earlier, Messenger Fellowship, I was introduced to a man who had a healing ministry. He would go to the, uh, the arenas and, and the small gathering places in San Jose, and he would hold healing rallies. Um, my job was to stand at the base of the stage, there would be two of us on either side with a pastor right above us. And this man would come out and call out people out of the audience that were healed of very specific things. He was not general, he was very specific. People would come forward to the stage and I was there to talk with them and pray with them and try to discern if they had had an actual healing. Then I would hand them up to the pastor that was on the stage and he would do the same thing. He would rely on the Spirit of God to help him to understand if this was a true healing. And if, if everybody felt it was, they would bring him to the front of the stage and present him to the audience. It was really amazing to see these miracles take place in front of your eyes. What was more amazing is part of that team, we would see the evidence that was presented to us by doctors that there were actual healings. X-rays where a tumor was there and then a tumor was gone. Other uh, written statements from doctors saying this person had a disease and had six months to live, and now there is no trace of that disease left. You cannot be in that type of an atmosphere and not feel humbled by what Jesus would do through somebody, what God would do through somebody. And yet, even with all that experience, sometimes I forget that the Holy Spirit lives within me. Um, I have been a part of some wonderful ministries, and yet I still tune out or neglect to listen to the Holy Spirit. That's why I'm glad to be a part of Twin Oaks Church, to sit under the teaching of Philip and Joe and the others who stand in front of us. 
to be guided by the elders we have to, who pray for us and ask God what direction we're to take as a church, to be led in worship by the dedicated, talented people who stand on this stage. It is this place that I am reminded who I am in Jesus and who he is in me. If you are a longtime Christ follower, it is my prayer that when things are toughest, that you remember the promises that Jesus made to the disciples and to you as well. Let not your hearts be troubled. I go to prepare a place for you. I am the way to that place. I will call you unto myself, that, that where I am you shall be also. If you're new to Christianity and you're still looking for your place and trying to find out if this is for you, please understand that Jesus wants us to know that no matter what we have done, no matter how imperfect we are, he loves us and has done so from before time was created. Jesus says to you, I am the way, the truth, and the life. There are many people in this room who would love to help you to understand what that means and what it could mean to you. We invite you as a, a, a people to, to share with one another uh, what Jesus meant to you and what this what the way, what the truth, what the life means to you. This is a time, like Philip said, when we are thankful. I'm very thankful for the word. I'm thankful for what Jesus did in his life and his death and his resurrection and what the Holy Spirit has allowed to happen in and through me. I'm very thankful for this church and this place because this is where we meet the Lord week after week after week. Would you pray with me, please? Heavenly Father, there is no joy that we can create on our own that matches the joy of knowing you as our personal Savior. There is no security that we can buy or set up that matches the security that you give to us when you say that I have a room for you. The lives that we lead, the places that we go, don't match the way that we will follow when we come to be with you. And I the words that you will be there for me, that you prepare a place for me, that you will call me, mean so much to me. We pray, dear Lord, today that you will show us the way, show us the time, and help us to be your emissaries here on earth. We love you, Lord. We honor you. We lift you up, and we praise your holy name. Amen.